haircut, you fucking hippie. <laughs> Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Mike. And, and we're, we're here, here to, to pump... pump you, you up. up. Jesus, that is so <laughs> Welcome long. to another exciting week. Today, Nat flirts with disaster, buying Powerball tickets like never before, and Mike ponders the addictive qualities of day trading today on RMA. Be here or be nowhere. Is that the new tagline? Be I here or be nowhere? <laughs> I, well, we Jesus can't really Christ. use it because that's from something else. Is it? Yeah, I can't remember what, but I definitely didn't write that. So we do here. We steal intellectual property and yes. rejigger it for our own ends. <laughs> well, welcome back. And, uh, I'd like to remind everyone to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, and now YouTube. Visit, yeah. visit us at middleagesrecovery.com and tell us your story, which we will read on the show, which nobody seems to be doing. <laughs> you know, this was supposed to be our listener question show. Yeah. How many listener questions did you get? I got zero. Yeah. And I've got my- <laughs> Me too. I'm starting to wonder if anyone's listening anymore. You know, Sergeant Slaughter, our, our resident um, alcoholic policeman, who is going to answer a dick- Addict questions. A dick um, questions. A dick question. And, uh, <laughs> Send us your dick questions. We really want to do that segment. So um, please, please, questions for Sergeant Slaughter. Um, and how was your week? Well, that's a loaded question. Mm. My week was good. Um, it's more religion with the kids and yeah. all that shit. And, you know, we had a blizzard, right? But oh, right. Wait, we're going to talk about that in a little <laughs> we while. We got snowed in on the East Coast. It was funny. Uh, I sat Ben in front of his, the computer to do a Zoom religion class on the cardinal virtues uh, and the theological virtues as well. And he seemed like really into it. Like he, like no one has ever taught him morality before. So he's very excited to get ben? some. He's like, yeah. finally, what I've been craving some direction. in life. I was like, you know, your conscience, that little voice inside of you that tells you right and wrong. He's like, I don't have one of those. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you do. Whoops. You're not a serial killer. You're not a sociopath. I've seen you cry at, at when yeah. things get hurt. So you're, you're fine. You haven't tortured animals with joy. Yeah. Um, that's just with, you it's know, interesting. Listen, I'm not methodical. against religion. Um, this we know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And uh, being a deacon at the Presbyterian Church and all. Um, but I think that's great. And, you know, it shows, it says a lot about you, um, that mm. you have an open mind and, you know, letting them kind of do that for their own purposes. If nothing else, it's uh, a life experience. Hey, I'm all into it, man. Yeah. I've been going to church and everything and it's been, it's been wild. I, I did take Jack to his religion class last night and that was a little much because they sit there and watch videos of these uber right-wing Catholic oh, really? people. Like, Cardinal Dolan, is he on that? No, but of, it's like, it's these creepy looking people yeah. like who get well, up there. Did you do pre Cana for uh, marriage? No, because I did not get married. But you in didn't marry I'm living so, in sin. Yeah. The people at pre Cana, pre Cana is the religion class you take to get married. Right. And uh, just getting sex, lit, literally sexual advice mm -hmm. from right. a, a priest. Right. With I know uh, presumably right. not a lot of experience, but well, you, you never know what goes on in the rectory. It's very, <laughs> they don't call it a rectory for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Rectory. Rectory. I got it. Rectumary. Right. That's, that's the joke. Right. Poor. <laughs> I know. Child sex jokes are just not. Yeah. They tend to land a little flat. I, um, uh, yeah. Delete that. So no, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm watching the video and, and um, you know, the. 
it's set up like there's a classroom, like like there are all these kids who are interested in Catholicism as if right. this was a thing. And then there's like some crazy guy with like a wandering eye standing up in front and talking about how you parents should really get you baptized when you're an infant because it's their responsibility. And I'm sitting there and yeah. looking at Jack and he's giving me the side eye. And then, he's you know, like, now <laughs> I feel like I'm a bad parent, you know? Um, well, I mean, cause they go through the argument. Yeah. They say, well, the, well, some say that you should let the kids make their own decision, but we make all kinds of decisions for our kids. So, and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not okay, wrong. Fine, okay. yeah. you know, it's, uh, I'm just, predisposed to be cynical about anything involving organized religion, I Which, suppose. Uh, we, we all know that. That's why it's so impressive that you're going along with this so uh, readily. Maybe you could learn something. You know, I I, I always keep an open mind. Always. Because but I can so always open, learn something. But not so open that your brains fall out. Oh. You ever hear that one? Is that an AA? It is. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know them all. Yeah. Um, so, that's good. Yeah, what about you? Well, why don't we start with... Um, you know, we had that snowstorm, okay? Yes. Um, so that's kind of the story for me this week was this snowstorm. Now, uh, I always, 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 always in the past when a snowstorm came, I mean, this is perfect boozing and drugging time. Yeah. Like when that happened, I was like, you know, you saw the storm coming, you called your dealer, mm-hmm. you got your eight ball, you got your you know, handle of vodka, your case s- of wine, case of wine, right. like a you know, a carton of camel lights and, <laughs> and uh, flip on Netflix. Or I used to just record music, like awful music for like 48 hours straight. So just drinking vodka out of the bottle and then. And I have some recordings <laughs> of my three day all nighters from college oh. that are so crazy. Yeah. They actually sound good. Like the sound quality is good because I know how to record. You but are like, all about sound quality. The music is like amazing. <laughs> you got to hear it. I'll send it to you after we'll put it in the show notes. Will we? That's, yeah. that's a, that's a big commitment. That is a big commitment. I don't know if you want to walk that back. Maybe, maybe we'll walk it back, but uh, it just reminded me of those times, you know, and, um, and so the last few snowstorms that we've had, I have not used and I didn't drink. And this time, my we have wine in the house because you know I'm comfortable with my wife drinking, um, and I, I don't like she'll leave a half open bottle of wine in the you know in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and f- four years ago that would vanish that right. night you mm-hmm. know no questions asked yes, uh, and she's seen it it just sits there you know because mm-hmm. I don't touch it and frankly I don't care, um, and I was just marveling at yeah. this new state of mind that I seem to. You know, it's in my subconscious. That's what the thing is. It has, you know, speaking about the subconscious with Annie Grace. Yes. I have retrained my subconscious. That's the only way I can describe it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's great, man. And I had such a great time. And, you know, my family, it's not always, you know, happy go lucky. Like we fight, you know, here and there, but um, not all the time, certainly. Um, And we just had a nice, like, chill out. We mm-hmm. played Scrabble, taught my little guy to play Scrabble. Oh, that's nice. You know, my wife got some reading done. Uh, I couldn't get them out in the snow all day, of course. Yeah. Which drove me nuts well, because it, it looked awesome. Sideways blowing wind yeah, and well, snow and like. We could go in the backyard degrees. just to, to experience it, you yes, know? Yes. But once the sun went down, I was like, guys, mm-hmm. want to do a night, you know, and night oh. play? And that got their attention. Yeah. So I actually, we took the GoPro out there and the kids were jumping off the deck and we were rolling around and, and yeah. I'm just happy that they did that. And, um, and yeah, just, uh, maybe you guys out there, you know, w- can, can relate, you know, a hurricane is a red bottle, a bottle of red wine and Scrabble. Mm. Like 
you know, power outage. Right. That's red wine and Scrabble. You know right. what I mean? But we've had power outages since I got clean and it's just Scrabble. <laughs> but like, but I'm not, here's the point. I'm, I don't, it doesn't make me like mad, jealous. No. I don't feel like I'm missing out. Like, no, not at all. And right. In thinking back, man, cause I've been listening to a lot of, um, addiction memoirs, uh, rereading, re listening. And we're reading that new book, uh, that we're going to have the author on called suburban gangsters, which, um, we're muddling through. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's such, uh, it's such a different, different world mm-hmm. for me. And I'm only now really conscious of it. Mm. Like the, um, yeah, I mean, you see it in, in, in things that happen around the snowstorm. Like the other day, it was like five o'clock and my two younger sons were out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my two younger sons were out having a snowball fight. So uh, I go outside and, and if this, this had been a couple of years ago, five o'clock was not snowball fight time. It was time to get the wine out of the fridge and start, start hitting that. Right. So, but I just kind of moseyed outside and started tossing. So, and then we started throwing snowballs up at uh, my older son's room. Uh, he has an attic room. So, you know, it was hard for me to get the snowballs up there because I'm old and my arm hurts. Yeah. But uh, so we entice him out. So then it's all of us whipping snow at each other. And then the neighbor kids heard us and they all came over. So it was like a fucking leave it to beaver scene in my backyard. <laughs> Did uh, Billy come over? Billy came over. Yeah. <laughs> He's the kid that runs around in his underwear. Yeah. Yeah. Outside. Yeah. All times of the year. Yeah. Did I tell you what happened to me? I had a, <laughs> speaking of Billy, it was like two weeks ago. It was like one of those 10 degree days. Yep. And uh, the FedEx guy comes up to the front door and he knocks on the door and he doesn't have uh, a package. He goes, listen, um, I just want you to know that there's a, did I tell the story already? I think you did. Oh shit. There's a kid running up and down the street in his underwear. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was Billy. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so we have a big snowball fight in the backyard and, um, until Ben took a snowball from one of the other neighbor kids in the side of the head. It like, Ooh, yeah. you know, it looked like it was like 30 miles an hour. And I, he dropped like a sack of old potatoes That's and I had to worst. dig the snow out of his ear. And oh. then he freaked out. And started, so, oh. you know, but at least I was able to enjoy the snowball fight. It was great. That's cool. And, yeah. and our kids uh, hung out virtually. Mm-hmm. We they didn't did. They were on them. it for hours and hours the other day. Yeah, yeah. I'm very careful not to interfere with, you know, Noah wanting to like play with the kid. Because if I say, oh, great, yeah, and yeah. he won't. Right. So yep. did it on let, their own. Let it go. You know, yeah. trying not to push him. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I'm just, you know, grateful. I mean, the only thing... Is that my car battery died? Oh yes. Um, so the day <laughs> More of the snowstorm, <laughs> the day of the snowstorm, uh, my uh, Corolla, no Honda Civic. Um, it's a little car, 2012. It runs fairly well, and uh, I haven't had trouble before with the battery. But Friday, I was going to go out to get some wood and stuff, and it didn't start. Called AAA. Mm. They came, jumped my car. It was fine. Two days, it was fine. This morning, the morning of the show. Mm. Um, it didn't start. Yeah. So I, I let m- uh, Mike know and uh, he came right away. So it's like, you're like a real friend now. Like yeah. that, those well, are, that's, I mean, that's friend what friends points. do. <laughs> yeah. You guys, this is no longer one of these um, uh, surface friendships that we just sort of, we're not, no. okay. Once you jump a guy's car for him, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> 
So yes. now we're like official real friends. And then you showed me your guitars. Right. Oh, yes. That was the coolest part. <laughs> it, was, it was nice. It was, a, it was a pleasant morning that I, I should have yeah, been working. But That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. uh, Mike came in and I'm like, oh, you got to see. And then I showed him where I want to move our studio to mm-hmm. once the store closes. Because that's another story where... Looking at closing, but mm-hmm. when it does, we need a new place for our studio. Right. Oh, um, and I showed. Uh, That's a nice room. I think know. it'll be a good space. Yeah, and I would just like to point something out. I was showing you my amp. Right. Right. And the first thing you said was, "Oh, it's a PV." <laughs> and I know what you're thinking, though, because I used to have one of those solid PV? state PVs in the '80s. It Listen, was- I the same thing. I said the same thing because I'm a guitar snob, and a PV doesn't usually you know, represent the best of anything. Uh, I had a solid state PV too, but this is different because it's a custom, like it was the Eddie Van Halen model. Right. It used to okay. be the 5150 and this Did is Did he after. play PVs? I thought he played Marshalls. He's a PV guy. Huh. Um, and this was his amp. So um, I tried it out and it was, you know, it was like 1200 bucks or something. I mean, it was Shit. expensive. Yeah. And it's a well, tube. Well, those tube amps are the tube. pricey. I only do tube. I, you know, yeah. solid Well, they state. sound much better. Solid Warmer. state's for the birds, man. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of fun. It was cool. So we, we hung out. I offered him um, Salmon Row on crackers and not interested. Graciously declined. It's really good. I like Salmon Row, but maybe not at that moment. I didn't think I, I would eat it for breakfast until I did. Really? That's like and one now of that's my, all you eat? No. no. <laughs> so you have cats following you around? I do, I do have cats following me around, by the way. You do? Stray cats. We've been feeding these stray cats outside. We've named them. There's seven of them. Oh, shit, dude. dude. And our indoor cat was nuts. <laughs> That's going to be like 21 of them before you know it. They're so cute. And um, we got so worried about them during the snowstorm. They went under our deck and we could still see them from the window well. Mm-hmm. So I put food in there. There's like a big daddy that's like the size of the, uh, like a bobcat. And then there's the, the Russian blue cat. His name is Vladimir. There's two black cats. I call them Hocus Pocus and Midnight. Mama cat, her name is Mittens. And then Rocky has a chopped off ear. So it's one female? We think. I haven't checked between their legs, though. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, well, you, you named him Rocky. I assume you no- noticed if he had a no. dick or anything. I no? just assumed. I did not see cat penis. Um, <laughs> Seriously, yeah. you got to be careful. My father had cats like mm-hmm. that. He started feeding five, and by the time he moved to Florida, there were 23 cats on the front. Oh, crap. He, he was buying Costco giant bags of cat food. And we're doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful, man. So eventually they, my sister, who's a vet tech, yeah. rounded up all the females and had them fixed. So the population stayed stable in the, in the twenties. Um, my understanding is that the, cause we talked to our neighbors on Facebook, mm-hmm. it was like a neighbor's group. And, um, one of our neighbors knows all about these cats and she's actually gotten, um, the mom, uh, spayed. Oh, so they're like our whole neighborhood. Okay is like taking care of these okay, cats. Good. Like there's a shed that one of the other neighbors has that they go in. So hmm. maybe that'll uh, indemnify us from uh, that kind What's of... What's a future. fancy legal word you're using there? Indemnify. <laughs> um, in order to be remunerated, you must be indemnified. Wow. <laughs> right. In the aforementioned... See, I told you I should go to law school. Yeah, sure. Have at it. I'm thinking <laughs> about it. You know, um, I'm going to graduate college, guys, this uh, this spring. You know, I started my new class this morning uh, on Wednesday, and uh, it's American literature, uh, realism, impressionism. It's one class, and I, at 42, after years, years of uh, chipping away at this degree mm-hmm. while I raised a family, while I, you know, um, started and stopped businesses, <laughs> various businesses, um, 
I just kept at it and I'm very excited, but that's awesome. I don't know what to do with my life. Like my, my wife's like, what are you going to do when you grow up? You know? And, uh, I hate that question. Like, what should I do? Like, what should <laughs> I, I don't do? Know. <laughs> you tell me. Oh, that's too much of a responsibility. Hmm. I can't tell you what to do. Yeah. I could, you know, you know what the law is like. You, your parents are lawyers. I know. I know. You want to, you want to do that? Kind of not. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Let's all right. Let's think about that. Let's get on to the meat of the show, guys. Um, the meat. So, a couple of th- oh, a couple of things. I, I think we found out where that screw goes. A couple of things that I was thinking about uh, over the past week in my research and studies of of addiction, uh, as I was the idea of abuse. And now we've talked about trauma and abuse a lot lately, mm. but what we haven't mentioned was like self-abuse, you know, like you were being abused by like your addict self, Yes, you know, and just kind of thinking about it in those terms, you know, like it's a completely different person and I have all these horrible memories that have been coming up lately while I'm driving, just remembering flashes of things that happened to me when I was using um, near, near death experiences. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd never had a white light thing, but you know, like where I almost got killed, like my OD, like when I flipped the car, right? you know, just stuff like that. Almost getting creamed, trying to run across Hempstead Turnpike, you know, at 3am. Um, all of that stuff. Uh, and just, just, it's, it's blowing my mind, you know, thinking of yourself like as two people. Yeah. But it's, well, you know what they say now, yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery. So, or to, Today is history. Uh, and if you have one foot in yesterday, wait. oh wait, wait, because it's <laughs> that's called why the they present. call it the present, right? And right. If you have, I heard that in AA. If you have one foot in in the past and one foot in the future, you're shitting on the present. <laughs> that one I never heard. <laughs> I like that one. But um, so yeah, so who was that person, right? Who was the person that did all that stuff? Was it you? Or was right. it an exaggerated facsimile of your worst characteristics? <laughs> is that what that was? Um. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> That is, you know, because that's what we do in, once we've recovered. And if you, you, if someone sort of accuses you of doing an addict thing or, you know, like the person treating you like you were the person before, yes. you're supposed to say, you know, that's not me anymore. Right. Like that, that was a different person. I've made amends. Hopefully you make amends for that. Yeah. And then you should be, you're allowed to move on. I mean, what makes up a person though? Right. Like, uh, is it your consciousness? Yeah. And so... So was that you or was that just your brain operating on bad intel? Like, you know, you back to the cognitive behavioral therapy, right? I mean, all those thoughts, all those ideas you had about the things that you were doing that were not right, you know? Right. And and you can liken that to um, what, what goes on in politics um, when people God. get, I won't say what, but when people get false information uh, that they believe you know, it creates, uh, like it just a really, it's very difficult to undo that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Except it, nobody agrees what false information is these days, which is really, you know, awful because there is right. And there is wrong. I am not a moral relativist. Um, you know, under any circumstances, anywhere by anyone, there are things that are wrong, mm-hmm. you know? Well, but there's definitely two different ways of seeing the world, right? Uh, seeing society, you can see it as an, uh, individualistic, uh, that, that we're based in a sort of a libertarian model of individualism, or we're more collectivist and that we, we operate together to achieve a common goal, you know? And I think the fact that those two worldviews are so in opposite 
means it's very hard to reconcile them. Interesting. I mean, yeah. I don't know what that has to do with recovery, but it's something I've been thinking about because I've been arguing with Dimitri about this for weeks now. And, and, and what is his take on it? He's, uh, he's, his current take is that he's a libertarian but believes in Marxist economics. He believes that you should keep capitalism but just have the workers running the factories. So That's to speak. interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking I could just keep pushing him a little bit. Well, <laughs> yeah, he'll no. go full Marxist. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's headed in that direction. But he also thinks that the New York Times is uh, is fake news, so... Yeah, but like the bad intel, that's stinking thinking, um, which is something (laughs) we hear in recovery a lot. I when I was in rehab, um, I they make you take these classes, quote unquote, and one of them had a title which was stinking thinking, right? And I remember thinking how annoying uh, that was to me. They're just a name, but um, so so what does that mean though? Like you were annoyed by the concept of stinking thinking. The concept of stinking thinking was what everything that the way that you think. The way that you thought, the way that you viewed the world, the assumptions that you had in your head were wrong, right? Wrong, bad intel. I was going to get a definition. Of, is there okay. a definition of stinking thinking? I don't, like, I don't know. If there was, I, I have forgotten it. But I mean, wouldn't that make A, like the world's biggest cognitive behavioral therapy program? Because the whole idea is to change your stinking thinking into a different into less stinking thinking. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I found... I hate um, saying stinking thinking. Stinking, yeah, it's the worst. Um, I found something on stinking thinking on Google. And it says the, there's the top 10 types. I'll read a couple. Stinking thinking, one. All or nothing thinking. Two, oh. Two is overgeneralization. Three, mental filter. Four, discounting the positive. Five. Okay. okay jumping to it. conclusions. Right. So w- by projecting negativity, basically. Yes. I could never get clean. I could never do this. Right. You know. So so it's all about rewiring your brain into into getting out of those thought patterns into better ones, which is very similar to cognitive behavioral therapy, except AA has the spiritual overlay. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I think it's And gonna, you use the spirit yeah. to change the thinking, right? Right. You're waiting for that moment of, of uh, not clarity, that's. You're waiting for the, what do you call it? What did Bill W. take the take all that LSD to to encourage uh, the, uh, to get to the fourth dimension? The, yes, but uh, to have a spiritual awakening, right. so to speak. Mm-hmm. So the awakening is what's supposed to change the stinking thinking. That's interesting. Right? That reminds me of uh, another thing that they say, which is move a muscle, change a thought, change yeah. your actions. Right, and uh, even if you don't believe in what you're doing. You change those actions, mm-hmm. and your tri- your thinking does change. It's called acting as if we say, in, right? In, Fake in it till you make it is yeah. the other way to say that. And I, it, from what I've heard from different AI speakers and thing, and what I've read, people will often point to, you know, I I didn't know why I was doing it. I didn't necessarily agree, but I just did what they told me, and eventually your thoughts changed, mm. which also sounds like cult. That's not uh, programming. That's non-thinking. That's replacing your thinking with other people's thinking. But that's what they tell you to do. They say, because yeah. your best thinking, you'll, get, you'll hear this a lot, your best thinking uh, got you where you are. Or that's what they or say. maybe your best not thinking got you where you were. Because if you really thought about it, would you have ended up in that place? I don't know. If you had had perfect clarity, you know, you, you wouldn't have gone down that road. We'd like to think that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd like to, con- I'd like to keep some agency. It's, it's my belief that 
people are ultimately responsible for themselves. They are. Now, I, I was just listening to a book by Tracy Helton Mitchell called The Big Fix, which uh, she's well known in um, in recovery. And uh, we've talked to mentioned her before uh, in a harm reduction. She's very outspoken. She was in a, um, an HBO documentary. I think it was 1997 called Black Tar Heroin when she was in, in Catchy music. title. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she was one of the worst. She was in the worst possible place. You know, she was streets, the whole thing. And now she is this, um, I'm trying to get her on, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually wrote me back and is going to listen to the podcast. And um, she was saying like, she was, you know, reading off all of these studies and things like that. And one of them was like one out of eight people, if they use uh, an addictive substance, will uh, get addicted. Right. Um, I don't have. That was that Dr. Is, Mate also had that stat in his book. Yeah. But she also had some really, you know, encouraging statistics uh, where she said uh, this study showed uh, that uh, it was like 50 percent of people who get a year clean will maintain their sobriety. For how long? Uh, indefinitely. Yeah. Indefinitely. 50 percent. She says 50. Who get a year. Right. From by any means. Yes. She also says that most people get clean on their own, which I don't know if I agreed with that. I don't know. Those people don't don't report it. Right. Well, I I don't know how they collect those statistics. I mean, how do they collect the statistics about the success rate of AA? But uh, it's it's all, you know, volunteer based studies where they get people that agree to report to them and stuff like that. Uh, She also said that and people who stayed clean for five years, uh, fifth, only 15% relapse ever. So wait, after one year, you have a 50-50 shot? According to okay. her study. Yeah. And five years, you have an 85% shot of yeah. staying clean. Right. So, I mean, uh, okay, that's one of those things. It's like they but tell- But by then, by five no. years, your brain is so rewired into being like not engaged with drugs or alcohol that, that's I it. mean, why would you ever go- back you know it, but, but well, then, that, you know. i'm sorry I, i'm just talking my head off today yeah but, please go on but um but then you hear all the stories of, of i guess that's the 15 percent of people who have 25 years 30 years and all of a sudden they just get a case of the fuckets and they and they're out 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 there you know yeah i, mean, I think it says a lot to change change it move a muscle change your thought change your thoughts and change what you're the way you move if you've your thinking changes, your actions will change, mm. you know? So we're really, it's just a, a game we're playing between our thoughts and our actions. Right. Um, well, people are very good at rationalizing and justifying. Oh yeah. And that's like, a, uh, that's stinking thinking right there. But you know, if you, if you pull back and you take 35,000 foot view and you sort of look at the way your mind's operating as if it's not your mind, but somebody else's mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's pretty easy to see when you're rationalizing. But it took me a long time to get to a place where I could recognize it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's, it's you know, easy to do that, but... I was lying so much uh, when I was, finally, you know, by the, at, by the end. I was lying so much that I even believed my lies. Mm-hmm. Like, I would lie myself into a state where I literally thought it was true. And yeah. so, and I did that so I could argue better and look more convincing. Right. Like that was, a, yeah, no, a I, re- I remember thinking that, <laughs> you know, when I was wandering up in the blizzards to go buy crack, um, right. that that was perfectly logical. And everybody that thought I should be doing something else didn't know what they were talking about. That is it. And so it's very hard, um, to break through to someone like that. And I think that's why, and a lot of us get there. I think that's why a lot of, 
a lot of people think that you have to hit rock bottom because the person has to feel so uncomfortable or so, you know, it has to get so bad for some people mm-hmm. um, that that's the only thing that can change them around. So well, some people, some people, some people don't need that. W- right. Which is what, you know, some of the new recovery work that's coming out is focusing more on that, mm-hmm. more on looking at the person who has to have a glass of wine every day after work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not a ton of drinking, but they got to have it. And it's bad for them. Increases. Right. So why are you doing it? You right. know what I mean? Um, and so maybe reaching out to those people before you get this whole class of citizens who's, you know, like basically addicts, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're a lower class of citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of that has to do with the anonymous factor going on. And that's what that documentary Anonymous People is all about. Mm. That, yes, we understand that anonymity is part of our traditions and 12 step and it must be adhered to. But then there's this argument that we can't advocate for like as a voter block, right? You know, we, unless we get step out of this anonymity and advocate for recovery and that these are people, they're not, you know, just junkies and, and, you know, they could offer value to society and we should, you know, look at this from a, a healthcare perspective more than a criminal perspective and really Absolutely. and get lobbying. But we, it's, but it's a chicken and egg situation because as long as society still treats anybody with a substance abuse problem as some somehow lesser, a lesser of a person morally then, bankrupt, then who, you know? who, who of the gray area drinkers who maybe are having too much wine every night wants to throw themselves in with that lot? Nobody. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, how long did I keep using or drinking because I had to say to myself, I'm not that guy in the mm-hmm. trench coat under the bridge. Right. I'm not that addict with the white kid with dreadlocks and, and mm-hmm. a ripped fish shirt, you know, <laughs> with a tent outside of a, in a city and like whole flying signs. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm not that. Right. And I'm also not that 12 uh, step douchebag guy who just makes me cringe every time he opens his mouth and holds the book up, you know? Right. And then, so, but the, the bottom keeps, line yeah. is that you don't have to be any of those no, things. You, don't. you just be yourself and you stay clean and, you know, don't get caught up in all that bullshit. It's easier said than done. It is. It is. But it would, I think it would do uh, society a great favor if we could, um, people who are not quite at the living under the bridge stage could avail themselves of some of these recovery resources without having to, you know, yeah. join the legion of the, of the great, uh, uh, bottomed out people, you know, by, by making people wait until they have a bottom, it, it, it's so much wasted time and effort and energy and lives, you yeah. know? Yeah. Money. I mean, let's, even if you want to talk money, well, it's an industry, lost, right? uh, <laughs> but look, think of all the lost revenue, um, that there is because of people being high. There, there's numbers for that too. How mm. they figure that out, maybe yeah. when it gets reported, but it makes people work less. It makes, it's just, you know, it's a pariah on society, but, um, there's too much money in it. You know? There is a lot of money in it. Um, but uh, besides that, um, I have been playing Lotto. 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 Mm. And um, that little do- I am, dopamine spike. I'm not. I'm not a Lotto guy, and I don't do gambling. Uh, it's just not for me. It never has been. But the other day. Um, somebody in our town won five million dollars at the Seven really? Eleven. Yeah. What? It's it, it was big news. Everybody was talking about it. Um, Do it's we not, know who it was? We don't. But 
And I was like, oh, I'm going to play. Well, I'll just do one. It's, it's 10, I put 10 bucks in. I got, you know, a bunch of quick pick numbers. And when it, when it came up on the TV, uh, I got this like excitement. Mm. I immediately started um, planning what I would do with the money. Right. Of course, like I'll do that and I'll give money to this. Right. And, you know, and the numbers were read and I was there checking my numbers and reading <laughs> it. And I won $7. Ooh. And man, I got this feeling. I got this feeling. And um, the next time it came up, what do you think I did? I was buying a coffee and I was like, yep. give me 10 quick picks. I'm right. Gonna, all right. Same thing. Next night, I'm mm-hmm. sitting there, I get the same feeling. And I did it a third time. Mm. I won 10 bucks. But I had to step back and look at this from an, an addiction perspective because I see everything through an addiction perspective. I can't help it. Yes. Uh, so I'm looking at this behavior and I'm like, red flag. Yeah. What do you think? I think, I think it's absolutely a red flag. I think, um, have you ever been to that same Seven Eleven and watched any of the guys buying the scratch offs? Yeah. So it's bad. Yeah. It was an old guy the other day. He's had on his, um, Vietnam veteran, uh, hat and whatnot mm-hmm. and just kept buying and buying and buying and holding up the line, which was annoying, but I'm, I'm watching him. I hate that. Yeah. And I, you know, the, the fervor he's putting into scratching those little things off with a quarter, to me, it's just, you know, he could have been in an alley with a stem. It yeah. looked no different to me. And um, I'm, I'm very careful when it comes to gambling. I'm never, I was never a big gambler because it was always too exciting for me. Like the times I've been to Vegas for work or whatever, yeah. and, you know, you end up, uh, you know, with slot machines or playing some, some mm-hmm. blackjack or something. Uh, and then drinking at the same time, which was my experience. Oh, yeah. So it was like a double double dopamine hit. Um, and that's what it is. It's like, it's like giving you that, yeah. that juice every time. I mean, we played the lotto a little bit the last month just because like the, I think one of the jackpots, uh, Got up to was a billion, a, right? was a billion dollars <laughs> and you're like, okay, who, right. I'm going to try for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Aaron had, it was, had already saved like five villages in Africa uh, <laughs> before, before the, the drawing. Yeah. Um, but, um, I just, I don't fuck with it because it, I, I know, I know what the, if I get into it, I'll really get into it. Yeah. We should, um, I've got a buddy, uh, David M on, um, on Dopey Nation who, uh, I've learned a lot about gambling, gambling addiction, addiction, because mm-hmm. he's a member of the Dopey Nation as an addict, like the rest of us. Right. But his angle is he's addicted to gambling. gambling. Mm-hmm. And it, what's amazing is how much I can relate to the things he says mm-hmm. about gambling and how much he can relate to the things I say about mm-hmm. drinking or alcohol. And there's like a real camaraderie there. We're both like dealing with pretty much the same problem. Yes. Uh, and, and it's really interesting. Gambling, um, it's a lot quicker to financial ruin. <laughs> the guys that I've known who have been in GA, like have stories that, you know, you think like some of these drug stories or something, but yeah. these are guys that go and they put their house deed down and all of a sudden they got to come home and tell their wives they don't have a house anymore. Yeah. And who's you know? worse, like a drug dealer coming after you or one of these or mafia, like, yeah, the bank or like the mafia. You like, <laughs> right. Hey, Johnny Numbers, I want to bet on that horse. Yeah. And um, Johnny Numbers, you don't pay him. I tell you, you know, I, uh, I had a, I came close on a lot of once my, my father used to play, Although it's funny, I re- always remember as a kid, he kept his, his lotto tickets, the non-winners for some reason, he had a stack of them that was like three inches thick. That's the non-winners. Desk. And like, they were all non-winners, right? right? <laughs> so, you know, he was like, why don't you, you know, and I was getting on him about it. He's like, why don't you try playing it? And I'm like, you know, I was like 
16 or 17 and I was like sure so I just go in and I I must have been 18 right because you can't do it under 18 so I go in and I just quick pick the numbers and he's like no you have to you know he, he he's like you have to take care in picking the numbers they pick birth dates and whatever I'm yeah. like ah fuck it I don't care so I got four out of four out of six maybe numbers wow that's a lot of money. first time I ever did it more than he ever got in 20 years of playing I won 50 dollars 50 bucks 50 bucks this is back when the the jackpot was a million. Right. Yeah. It'll be a so million. I don't know. I, I, it's, but you know, the gambling has come up a lot lately in, in my mind, not only because of like these giant jackpots and, you know, lottery, which is essentially a regressive tax on the poor, you know, people yeah. who can least afford it. And, and they they just dangle the promise of riches in front of them and people are out there, you know, a regressive tax on the poor. I love that. Well, I mean, that's poetry. Mike. Yeah, that's I poetry. wish I could say I coined that phrase, but I did not. But I mean, you, you see what's been going on all week with GameStop and Wall Street bets. What is going on? In so case our listeners haven't. Oh, seen it. OK. So I don't know. There's if people know about Reddit, it's a social media group. Uh, and there's different subreddits for different topics. It's like a, it's a social network that's yeah. more anonymous. Right. Exactly. So there's one famous one called Wall Street Bets and it's mostly young guys in there, mostly guys. Um, and what they do is they'll they'll pick a certain stock and they'll try and, you know, I don't know if they're trying to run it up because that would be illegal, but everybody piles into one stock and they argue with each other about how, you know, why they should all do this. So they, they figured out the GameStop, this one guy called you fucking value. That was, that's his <laughs> username, decided that the game game stock was undervalued. And he decided this you know, about a year ago, he bought like a few thousand shares and they just kept talking it up in the forum. And all of a sudden, more and more people started buying it and buying it. And then they realized that there were all these hedge funds that had a short position on it, which means they were betting that the stock would go down. Mm -hmm. So they figured they could drive the stock up, cash out at the top. And for arcane Wall Street reasons the that I'm not going to explain here, <laughs> the um, the the hedge funds would have to buy the stock at the inflated price to cover the bet that they made that it would go down. Okay, okay you definitely lost me, but yeah, I sorry. think I understand what you're saying. So, um, and we've lost our listeners. So, well, sorry, you asked me to explain yes, it. All right. <laughs> so, so basically, this this forum, this internet forum, went from about a million people to seven million people within a week, and all of these people piled in and just started buying stock. Wow. Um, because there was this get rich quick mentality mm. and the, the, the company that facilitates this is a company called Robinhood mm. and Robinhood is a trading platform. Like E-Trade? Yeah, it's like E-Trade. Exactly. But- They're a Ponzi scheme, I heard. Um, like they can't cover the money that has been- Yes. That, that's an issue. That's another thing. Go on. But, but Robinhood has been marketing to uh, millennials and Gen Zs by- creating an app that you can use in your phone to buy stock that is very uh, reminiscent of what slot machines do to entice you in, in, in Las Vegas. I kind of want to get it now that I've, uh, that, uh, that we've looked at it. It sounds awesome. So, so when you download the app for the first time, um, you get an image of a digital scratch off lottery ticket that pops up on your screen. And that picture is a welcome stub. It's a gift for joining the Robin hood community. So, um, it promises you a free share of stock worth anywhere from $2.50 to $200. So if the new trader wants the prize, they have to play by scratching off the image like a lottery ticket. <laughs> and so, you know, 
that immediately triggers a dopamine response among their new users. And, and the trigger is what p- keeps people coming back because not only do that, but they also do like green confetti to celebrate a transaction when you make a transaction. Um, constant update of stock related articles. Isn't that, that's the GameStop stock? Yeah. Okay, I was just showing them. Yeah, it, it goes straight up. Yeah. yeah, well, except it's also gone straight <laughs> straight down. Um, so you get free stocks in the shape of lottery tickets. You get wait lists for buying certain things where you can improve your position by tapping it up to a thousand times a day. I mean, it's all like very, very Las Vegas in its approach to getting people to, to, to bet. So, um, to bet, to trade. So something I, I also thought interesting was in that same article, they interviewed a guy who ran the 1-800-GAMBLING uh, um, helpline mm-hmm. who said that it was rare uh, 10 years ago to ever get a call about people in the stock market. But ever since the Robinhood app has made its appearance on the scene, they, they get like 10% of their calls are about people that are just addicted to stock to trading. day trading? Yeah, wow. to day trading. So. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's full disclosure, I went out and I bought 10 shares of GameStop. Uh, seventy four dollars a share right now. Yeah, well, what'd you get it at five bucks? No, I got it like two hundred. So I lost a shitload of money. But um, the thing that I noticed is that excitement from the Wall Street bets and and all following the the ticker up and down all day long is is infectious because that same week I I started looking at other stocks and I was just and I'm when I invest right I'm a buy and hold guy I'll pick Mm -hmm. a good company I'll say this one's going to be great in five years and hang on to it. Last week after I got this GameStop thing and watching it jerk up and down the potential for great riches and striking it rich quick. I ended up buying like four or five other meme stocks as they call them and riding them up and down. And I, I'd swear it was, it was just like an addiction, an addictive, uh, feeling. Yeah. So, uh, right. So I, I sold them all. Yeah. All the ones that I bought at a loss, most of them, but not a big loss, so you, you didn't know, just like a couple hundred dollars. No, but because I was like, I am not getting, I'm not going down this rabbit hole because right. if I do, I'm going to bankrupt my family within yeah. short order because I could see where that was going. So I don't know. So if you're out there playing the stock market with Robin hood or, or doing any of this wall street bets, folks, you just watch yourself because you know, I, I don't see much difference between that and um, other forms of addiction. Yeah, I got into that behavior. And I, I, I definitely agree with you because I've experienced it just before the pandemic. Um, my friend, Mikey clams, who's the local clamor, uh, is an old friend of mine from my addiction days. Do you, what is it just you that calls him Mikey clams or is that his actual, uh, I think I coined it okay. because I, when I refer him to friends, cause he delivers clams, right. I say, Oh, I, Mikey clams. So okay. before I started it, <laughs> nobody else called him Mikey clams, <laughs> right. but Mikey clams, real blue, cl- blue collar, great guy. His clams are amazing. Mm. And, um, and he was just, <laughs> that was, clams are amazing. Is not yeah, a euphemism. Yeah, all right. Um, but, uh, he, so, uh, he's funny because man, back in the day in this town, mm-hmm. we had a, he had a party apartment in town mm-hmm. and after we partied at the local townie bar, got some blow, mm-hmm. went back up to the apartment over that building over there. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, his apartment and my friend, uh, I'll call him E's apartment were next to each other. And it was just debauchery, just mm-hmm. like partying and uh, just the weirdest people would come into that party. You would have like, remember Cracky? She used to work at Stop and Shop. Um, mm. She uh, <laughs> she wouldn't show up. She was mm-hmm. just like one of these weird townies. Okay. People like John the Canman would show up. Right. And then, you know, it was such a weird crew. And anyway, so Mikey Clams was one of the guys that we were hanging out with. And me and my wife used to go hang out there together. So it wasn't just me. Right. You know what I mean? And um, 
And so he was came in and now he he's he's clean pretty much now. He's not into all that. He's just the he works hard and he's got two kids. So he's like, yo, you gotta buy you buy stocks. And I'm like, no, I don't do any of that anymore. And he gave me this stock tip mm-hmm. on one eight hundred flowers and he was so excited about it. And he was telling me about the reports and when it goes up and how much he's made on it. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, man, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna get an e trade you know, account. I put like $800 into it. No, nothing major just to play around. Right. And, um, it, and I'm up, you know, a lot based on Mikey clams uh, recommendations, <laughs> Mikey clams, stockbroker, <laughs> Mikey clams, but I was doing the same thing. You know, I was watching it every day. I bought a book on swing trading so I could understand how to read the reports like the, um, stochastic thing mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. So I got really interested in it. I watched a few tutorials on Amazon's videos guy describing how to, right. how to read, you know, and, um, and I got that feeling too. Ultimately the COVID hit, and I needed, uh, I couldn't keep putting money in it. So I've, I've left it there and it's still up miraculously. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the, yeah. what's the secret to 1-800-Flowers? Cyclical? Yeah. Uh. He's got it. He's like, listen, you know, holidays where flowers are sold. It's that simple. Right. But you have to watch it. And, you know, you can just go by date, but if you pay attention to what's happening in the news with related to it, like he, he's got a whole system based on one that and ADPN is another weird stock. They like make microprocessors. Mm-hmm. AMD is another one. He None recommends. of this should be construed as financial or investing advice. Thank you. That was a <laughs> report from legal, but we are running long. We are. So I'm going to say <laughs> we want to get to recovery in the news. We've got. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if uh, any of the listeners remember, or any is still listening. But if you if they remember, we discussed Oregon's um, ballot initiative back around election time, um, and just before that, they were legalizing uh, drugs, uh, including small varieties of all kinds of drugs. Right? What's the title of this oh, article? Well, I'm, I'm getting to that. Oh, go. It's uh, this is an article from the Salem Reporter. Uh, and the article's title is The State is to Pour Millions More into Addiction Treatment Despite Little Proof That It Works. So I was just giving some what I call context. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, should just, I need so, to stop talking. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, uh, so, okay. So Oregon passed a ballot initiative where they legalized uh, possession of small amounts of all different kinds of drugs, including uh, meth and cocaine and all the other goodies. Right. Right. right, right. And uh, of course, marijuana has been legal there. So, um, so uh, the Salem reporter did this in-depth report recently that, um, that they're, you know, part of the legalization um, quid pro quo was that all the, or a significant amount of the money that was raised or saved was going to be funneled into treatment, mm. right? Um, for the new drug addicts that, cr- that are created by the, by the legalization of drugs. Um, so um, it was called Measure One Ten, and it uh, took decriminalized uh, the use of all these drugs, and and instead people could go and get treatment, and um, it could move thousands of people into a system that is apparently already clogged and lacking any evidence that it's effective. Mm. Um, so, but to, they're decriminalizing. What does that mean exactly? Because people get confused when they hear decriminalized. Right. They think I can go get an eight ball at Seven Eleven. No, that's legalized. Right. Decriminalized just means that you can't be sent to jail for it. 
up to certain amounts. So it doesn't make it easier to get. It just makes you less Unless likely to go to jail for it. Right. I mean, weed you can buy at the 7-Eleven or whatever, the, the dispensary. And one quote from the article says, no reliable outcomes data exist on the effectiveness of treatment or how well the services worked to reduce clinical symptoms and enhance quality of life, mm-hmm. the State Criminal Justice Commission reported. So they're saying that they need more hard data. That, you know, they, they don't have enough hard data. Yes. And I, the corollary to that was that they said it was hard to document that treating addictions help reduce crimes that had to be handled by the police and the courts. I mean, one would expect that. But then again, the measure was only passed three months ago. So it's a little hard to be extracting data from from that about the success of the program. But um, but then again, okay, so how do you measure success? Yeah, see, we talked about this right? a lot. You said one day out of 30 instead of two days, you're doing right. good. Like, And then the article goes on to say Narcotics Anonymous emphasizes abstinence. Right. Uh, but there's also a growing focus on reducing, not eliminating harm as a goal, such as getting people to use less often or in lower amounts. So mm. how do you determine whether treatment is a success if it's based on a model of abstinence and people are not abstaining, uh, even though if they're doing less of the drug? Is that a failure or is that a success under this um, framework. I, I think the unwillingness to to go away from total abstinence for some kind of recovery is just laziness, because it's so easy to just say stop everything, and that's the only thing we'll accept. Right. Because that's easy. You've mm-hmm. got an easy measuring stick, and you've got millions of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is that each person is really going to have different you know, yeah. responses and needs. So I think that's just simply a function of convenience. Why is people, why a lot of these programs are sticking to abstinence? Because once you get into harm reduction and saying, you know what, um, we want to say that you're, you're doing well, we're not going to throw you back on the street. If you have a drink or something mm-hmm. in the middle, you know, we're working with getting you less likely to die, kill someone get AIDS or hep C mm-hmm. or whatever and spread it, you know, we're, we're reducing harm We're we're taking, you know, but the problem is that's like really hard to measure. It's hard to measure. So how do you come up with a standardized uh, measurement tool for success when it, people aren't standardized? I mean, you could look at days of sobriety not necessarily linear, like, you know, in a month, five days of sobriety, yeah. 10 days, something like that. Or you could look at it on the other end, which is um, the effects on society, you know, car accidents, crimes, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a, a worker at, a, at an office who is um, using heroin illicitly Compared to that same uh, worker who is going to methadone treatment only is going to be a better worker, you know, Mm. and once they get on a methadone program or suboxone, it then becomes easier for their point of contact, the doctors, Mm -hmm. social workers who, because when you get methadone, you're supposed to also get a social worker and, and, and work on it and a doctor who's prescribing it. So it just you know, it gradually eases a person 
into a place where they can make a rational decision for their life and say, well, I'm on a very low dose of Suboxone. I'm going to my doctor, you know, every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to my group therapies. And I really, your life is turned around. Maybe you got to back together with your wife or whomever. And your life is stable. You're not talking to the dealers. You don't associate with your old friends who call the dealers, you know, and then you can make that decision with your doctor, with your partner, with your family to say either I'm not ready to to stop taking Suboxone right now. And that's and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I won't be, you know, um, ostracized for it. And I'm not going to lie about it in my groups, in my 12 step, because I'm recovered. My, or I'm, re, I have, I'm re, in recovery. My life is, is so much better, but you know, I'm still maintaining my, you know, medication assisted treatment. And when you're ready to come off of that, you do that. But in the meantime, I, I see so many people who they post, um, on these addiction groups and they're so distraught because they've been going, you know, they, they turn their whole life around. Mm-hmm. They, they're not buying heroin. They're going to their NA meetings, but they, they're using the medication assisted treatment and they're made to feel like they're not uh, as sober as right. the other people. And that's hard. Listen, I think that's bullshit because for me, recovery is more about quality of life than mm-hmm. anything else. Absolutely. What is your life like? You know, if I asked your partner or your mother, you know, um, how's he doing? Right. That, that's a good measure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like ask my wife. Well, let me ask you this though. Uh, we talked early in the show about, um, changing your, your subconscious. Yes. To the point where now all of a sudden you're looking at, uh, substance abuse in an entirely different way. Mm-hmm. Do you think that if you were still on Suboxone, you would be able to do that? To look at life in a different way? To look at substance, substance as, as I really have no interest in using yeah. that. Yeah, 100%. You know, as opposed to... Why not? You know. I was... Well, I'll tell you what. The only reason I know that for sure is I was there. Right. Um, toward the end... So you weren't afraid like if you got off Suboxone, the craving would come back. So the answer to that is, yeah, there's always some fear. Right. But... I wasn't buying Suboxone illicitly and trying to wean myself off. Mm-hmm. Like many people try to do, they fail and then they say, oh, it's bullshit. It mm-hmm. doesn't work. Well, of course it doesn't work because you weren't under her doctor's care, which is what needs to be. You need to be with your therapist, have these discussions with your sponsor or whomever. Right. Um, and so that's just what I did. I, I was on two years on my Suboxone and uh, from a five-year heroin addiction. And, um, but my life was completely different. Mm-hmm. The only thing I was doing was once a month, I, you know, go to the doctor and would ask me what we wanted to do this month. Am I coming down? Tell him how we feel. Mm-hmm. And then I was in AA and, um, we, we dropped it down and then I'd report my feelings. I tell my therapist, I don't know if I can come off of this. I'm, I'm worried. Right. And we talk about it. You work it out in group. You know what I mean? And I just, you do that work. Mm-hmm. I did that work. And when I came off of it, I was clean for six months. <laughs> I was clean for six months and then right. I picked up drinking and that's, um, yeah, you know, there's a number of reasons why that happened. Um, but it did happen and that got me into my DW. That's where the DWI mm, happened. Right. I was drinking to replace the feeling. So I guess I wasn't ready 
uh, at mm. that point, I had a lot more to go through. <laughs> but the Suboxone, say, it, did, right. it saved my life. It is such a I, complicated issue in terms know? of, you know, I, I certainly think medical assisted treatment is, is, is like a lifesaver for so many people. It really is. And now, does it get abused? Of course. Everything gets abused right. somehow. Yes, it's sold illicitly. Suboxone can be injected. Um, but you know what? Anybody can abuse anything. Mm-hmm. Like you can abuse non-alcoholic beer. Um, Watch it. <laughs> I, when I said that, I really meant you. You, Mike, can abuse non-alcoholic. You know what beer. I did the other day? I and it was funny. I I, I cooked a vegan sausage in a non-alcoholic beer. I was like, this is what this is what my life has come to. <laughs> I used to like, you know cook some bratwurst and some yeah. sauerkraut and you'd pour in a stout. And now yeah. it's like a vegan sausage <laughs> with non-alcoholic kind oh, of thing. God, I mean, that sounds so sterile. Uh, it was actually not bad. I like that vegan sausage sometimes. It's good for the heart, if, if not the stomach. Mike loves his vegan sausage. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> oh, man, this is painful. Yeah, it is. Um, That's but, the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> Just moving things along. Oh, one thing before you go on to uh, um, Week and Weird. Uh, so yesterday I had to meet Erin because she was getting her second um, shot for uh, COVID, mm-hmm. the COVID vaccine. And uh, I was in Mineola mm-hmm. and I sent you a picture of a bar. <laughs> yes. And I, <laughs> so I thought that just bared mentioning because sure. I, here I am, I'm taking a picture, I'm walking by the train station and there's a, bar, and there's, with a hospital in the area is like the big employer and there's like a whole bunch of buildings in this hospital complex and right smack in the middle of the hospital complex is a bar called the recovery room mm-hmm. and I sent it to you to be sort of like make a wry comment about alcoholism and health and you were like hey I used to smoke crack in that bathroom yep. and I was like oh okay you're familiar with the place and I was aware of the uh, irony of the name <laughs> of the bar right I assume everybody that goes in there is you know, has a chuckle about that as they're drinking, but, uh, so let me take you back. (laughs) You're not in a hurry, are you? No. Okay. Let me take you back. Um, so I don't know how many years ago this was, could be five, could be four years. Um, I was court mandated as many of you know, from my DWI to attend outpatient treatment, um, for drugs and or alcohol. Uh, what that means is, um, you go to groups, you discuss, it's with professionals, you have a professional group leader and then drug addicts and they test you all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you piss dirty, I would go to jail because I was on probation. So I was at a point where I had relapsed a bunch of times and this was my third or fourth outpatient. So this was the end of the line for me. If I didn't complete at, Mm-hmm. In Mini Seafield, Mineola, um, I would never get my driver's license back ever, mm. ever. Man. And um, my wife would leave me, and my you know, my whole life would just be dissolved into a horror show if right. I didn't complete that. That's the way I felt, and yeah. even if it wasn't true. So at the time, I didn't have a car because when my car, I crashed it. Um, this is after the DWI. I crashed it, and I was sober. Um, incidentally. I crashed it on my way to outpatient therapy, <laughs> leaving my job early, and I was calling the the, the place to tell them I was running late. And mm. I looked up and bam, uh, bam, and I totaled the car. And the rule is, I had a breather, like one of those. Um, what do you call them? Where you have to breathe into to the it. steering wheel thing. If, yeah. if you have one of those and you get a moving violation, your license is gone, even if the, you don't blow anything. Yeah, exactly. That's terribly it's just, unfair. It's, so. 
that was three years ago. And Mm -hmm. I lost my driving privileges completely, even, you know, so now I was walking everywhere. My parents were driving me, which was a nightmare. Mm. I love them, but to be 40 years old and sitting in the back of your parents' car, there's nothing worse. Um, It is demoralizing and um, embarrassing and, and everything you can imagine. So I used to have to walk to the train in this town, you know, sit there for 50 minutes, go to the train station in Mineola, and walk to Seafield, mm-hmm. which is a few blocks. Now, when you get out of the train, the bar is there. It's right there. Recovery room. And if I was there at a group on a Thursday or Friday, and I was walking back to get on the train, um, sometimes I would have crack. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I would just drink, you know, but I would go into the recovery room, order a couple of drinks, go in the bathroom, <laughs> spark a pipe. And then I had a few days to, to clear out, to not piss dirty. And with the hope that they won't test me Monday because they would randomly do it Oof. during the week. So that was the life I was living. Recovery then. room is, there's two layers of puns in there. Like, is this like the normal recovery room is the room in the hospital you go to after the surgery. Mm-hmm. And it's also where you go after you attend your recovery meetings. <laughs> so, oh, wow. I think they call it the recovery room because of the hospital. Yeah. Cause that, the, not the, because of Seafield. Right. I know. But the picture <laughs> on it, cause the picture on it is of like an EKG running across the, that's a new sign. Buddy. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. The owner of that bar is really nice. I got to know him a little bit. I used to really hang out there and sometimes I would just skip group. Right. And, and I would get in trouble, of course, and yeah. be threatened with all sorts of things. That's what, and I was going five days a week, but um, sometimes I would just, because my wife would think I was at the place mm-hmm. and they didn't talk to her because I didn't sign a release so that they could yeah. talk to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another story. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would just say I was going there and I would just pull it into the recovery room and hang out for a few hours. Right on the other side of the tracks, there used to be a bar called... Uh the last, the home stretch, mm-hmm. it had an OTB uh, thing in it. And so I went to high school in that town and we used to walk to the train and the drinking age was 18. We were probably 15. Mm. We would go in, it was top of the stretch. That was it. <laughs> and we would go in there and order like drinks that nobody who was of age would ever order. You know, we'd go like Alabama slammer, please, you know? And, uh, so that was the first place I ever drank in a bar. It was right across the street from that bar. Wow. Yeah. I was also the first dead body I've ever seen. In Mineola? Yeah. Wow. So one day I was, well, the other thing that I didn't say about uh, Mineola train station is that probation Mm -hmm. is also, what is that, north? If you walk the other way from the recovery room, if you Mm -hmm. walk out of the recovery room and keep going, what direction are you walking? South? Uh, That is south towards the courthouse and stuff. Right. So that's where... uh, probation was because I'm not felony probation. So, so some days I would walk, it's like 10 blocks, nearly get killed crossing old country road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the other way it was perfect. I had, you know, my outpatient <laughs> one way and then for my, uh, <laughs> so much going on in Mineola. Anyway, we, <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're running. Do you want to tell the dead body story? Yeah. So wanna, yeah. one day, uh, cause some nights I had probation and I had it. Yeah. So I would go to probation first and then I'd walk all the way. And then one day I was walking to, cause I had to cross over the train oh. to have that bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Cop cars everywhere. Just like uh, everything is stopped. Right. Um, it, and uh, I was like, what the hell's going on? And I walked up and I looked and it was a smear. Mm. It was just like, that fucked me up, man. Yeah, I'm sure. I was just like, uh, like what the fuck? 
Like it's just nothing prepares you for that, man. No. And uh, I thought about that for a long time. And I, at, luckily I was going straight to therapy. So <laughs> that um, was handy. I, I brought it up and um, tried to process it. But um, man, that is the saddest thing. You know, if you're in a train town. Um, People jump in front of the trains all the yeah, time. It, all the time. It's a, it, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. So that, that was, that's Mineola guys. And great pizza place there, by the way. Yeah. Um, so this week in weird. This week in weird. This is a repeat of last week. <laughs> Astronomer Avi Loeb says aliens have visited, and he's not kidding. Avi Loeb is no stranger to controversy. The prolific Harvard University astrophysicist has produced pioneering and provocative research on black holes, gamma ray bursts, the early universe, and other standard topics of his field. But for more than a decade, he has also courted a more contentious subject, namely space aliens including how to find them. Until relatively recently, Loeb's most high-profile work in that regard was his involvement with Breakthrough Starshot, a project funded by Silicon Valley billionaire Yuri Milner to send laser-boosted, gossamer-thin, mirror-like spacecraft called light sails on high-speed voyages to nearby stars. All that began to change in late 2017, however, when astronauts around the world scrambled to study an enigmatic interstellar visitor, the first ever seen that briefly came within range of their telescope. Yeah, so... So cool! So he's referring to that thing that looked like... They did a representation of what they thought it looked like, and it looks like, like a cigar, f- right? Cigar or flat rock of yeah. some sort, but... It's called like Umaguma or yeah, something. Yeah, but ac- according to the interview they did with him in the Scientific American article, the the it didn't really look like that. It was like shiny mm-hmm. and had... Um, uh, like a, a smooth shape to it and stuff. So the representation they've been putting out in the public is probably so people think that it's a natural object as opposed to a, a spacecraft, which he is fairly convinced that it is. Um, really wild. Yeah, it was called, here it is, um, Ooh, Al Mau Mau is the first known interstellar object detected passing through the solar system, formally designated some crazy number. It was discovered by Robert Work using the Pan-STARRS telescope. So this is a real thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Uh, it was in the news. It's this gigantic object yes. passing, and they think it, it's, it came, it's billions of years old, they think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this guy is saying that it's basically a, yeah. an, a, like an ancient spaceship filled with aliens. The, the proof to me was, was that he said that it accelerated in a way that could not be accounted for by the gravitational uh, pulls that were on it at the time. And then Dude. once it got to the edge of the solar system, it just like boom, took off like Seriously? a shot. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. I've been hearing, I, I'm, I've got my finger on the pulse of paranormal radio and UFO <laughs> stuff. I, I read books about it. Um, and I listen to shows. I love this stuff. And incidentally, uh, I have been listening over the years to these guys who claim to be secret space program insiders. Mm-hmm. And nobody really believed them, but I loved listening to it. Yeah. And they said that same thing, man. Really? They said that they were on that ship and they saw. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, okay. Um, it's it's <laughs> freaking right. great. So this is just more corroboration that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. There you go. This Week in Weird. Oh, man, it's been a show. It's, it's been, been a long a one. Show. 
So thanks everybody for coming back and listening. Um, All five of you. Yeah, it was a, it was a rough week for me, and I just want to apologize that I, I haven't been as on top of uh, our marketing. I haven't been on top of stuff. I just I'm sure man, people are disappointed to I, not be marketed to I, this week. Well, you know, it, I, I want to be active. I want to be out there. I want to be making memes and communicating with people and this last week I just got sucked into a time warp and I apologize for that there's there's a few things that we've got coming up that are exciting yes if I could just get off my ass uh, we've got this author coming on if I can just get, read this book already uh, and um, Aaron Moore is working on a really cool segment coming up so she's going to get like 25 minutes to do her thing and bring the female uh, aspect to it we've got merch coming if I could ever get off my ass and order the shirts Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Tweet us at Twat You Twit, Instagram, Apple Podcast, or wherever great podcasts are sold. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Guys, we need more reviews. Please, 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 please write a cool review so I can read it. Give me five stars. Uh, we'll read it on the air, middleagesrecovery.com, and submit your story, please. Uh, last thing is I need questions for the cop. So add a questions for Sergeant Slaughter, please, guys. Um, I really yeah, appreciate it. It'll in. be really cool. But read it. We'll give your name if you want. and uh, Or not. If you don't. <laughs> it'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Profits, not perfection. <laughs> I think I'm week. changing the tagline. Have a great week, guys. Be good. Be good.